welcome back to the Pod de Jeu. My name's Thomas, and I'm once again joined by my friend... Andrew, and welcome, Thomas, to the pod. And remember, everybody, as is usual, everything is up for review here at the Pod de Jeu. Absolutely right. Everything is up for review, day to day, week to week, hour to hour, minute to minute, breath to breath. Now, today we are, in fact, reviewing something probably from a few years ago, uh, many years ago, in fact. You know, if you were born in 1986, you were born at the same time as this great piece of animation, claymation, production. Your childhood is the focus here in today's episode. We are, in fact, reviewing the television show Pingu. The Children's Claymation Award-winning, I would like to point out. Uh, many, award-winning. many awards. Many awards. Uh, some of which are recognised, some of which are not. But many awards for this children's series. We are reviewing episode one, part one. Pingu is introduced. And, Andrew, I believe we have a very uh, solid foundation for how we're reviewing this system today. The judging criteria, if you will. Of course. we There are, of course, to review film, cinema, in any form, there is, of course... A set of rules. Now, those rules can change from person to person. Now, we have chosen a particular one for this episode because we felt it truly encapsulated what we needed. And that is, of course, and I'll just grab the paper because published in the Pasadena Herald on August 18th, 1932, legendary film man David O. Selznick released his Focus in Filmmaking review system of 1932 of how things were to be reviewed. Now, I can see it here. We also have a copy uh, in the archives of the review system of 1944, but as no war is present in the episode we are, in fact, watching, it wasn't sufficient for our needs. Yes, the uh, the whole layer of propaganda functioning of this episode was not really a critical element for that 44 issue, and so 32 really harks back to the essence that we're looking for, isn't it? That it does. Now, would you like to quickly run us through what these judging criteria are and let's get into our review of this masterpiece I might throw out early. Indeed. Uh, The review system, of course, is... As I'm sure you're all aware, for those of you who don't, though, I shall give you them in in time. Uh, First of all is, of course, as was prevalent in the day and is always prevalent in film, music. Then, from music, we will step to the story. And third, and far more importantly for the insiders in the business, we are going to go to cinematography and production. Yeah, I think that's going to be the real in-depth and gritty one that uh, those real, as you say, insiders to the business will probably learn a thing or two from our wonderful experience here. And the cinephiles will be greatly, will be greatly uh, pleased. But there's going to be something for everyone, I'm sure. There is indeed. Now, this episode was thankfully brought to us by Netflix. Again, not a sponsor, but more than happy to take on uh, corporate endorsements. Absolutely. Uh, but we're not going to we're not going to limit ourselves to Netflix. No. Stan. Stan. Quick Flicks. Uh, Beta Max. Foxtel Go. Anyone. Beta. If you are still out there, and if you are getting my letters, is Optus still a thing? Yeah, uh, I'm sure Optus it is to Pain somebody. TV or something. I'm sure it is to somebody. Right. Uh, so, thank you, Netflix, for bringing us uh, our childhood back. But let's move into our reviewing system now. So, the first element, as you said, music. The first element is, of course, music. Now, as I looked at it, because in Pingu, largely the music is—it's the theme. It's that's it's, 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 it's the first thing. But it's the—it's all. Not only is it the introduction, it is also. It's the key piece of music throughout the entire series, in fact. It is an arcing piece of music. And from its first soulful strains, you know you are in for a happy and indeed joyful experience. 
I think the uh, the introductory song there, it really shows that this show is ahead of its time, real inclusive nature of the show, because it's clearly being sung by someone with a stutter. Clearly, they are, they're, they're, they're showing that it's not handicapped, it's handicapable. And from there, we are getting truly a great song. Of course, the lyrics. Now, the lyrics reach out, I feel, and they touch the very heart of the inner child in a thoroughly non-threatening manner. Yes, I believe the one word which is stretched over 30 seconds constitutes the whole of the lyrics, is a real sort of uh, harken back to that long-forgotten or maybe even repressed childhood that you once lived through. But it's also, I think it also, it's a song, it's straightforward, it's to the point, tells it you tells you about. that you are watching Pingu. Yeah, you're not watching Star Wars, you're not watching uh, Adventure Time, you're not even watching something like MasterChef, this is, in fact, Pingu. You're not going to get confused here. So, and anybody who has ever turned on Pingu expecting Citizen Kane, I mean, then who hasn't had that happen once They've or twice? They've probably had the same experience, that real cathartic experience of having watched a masterpiece, but yes, we... We don't have awesome wills. You need to specify, yes. Uh, but they do specify in the theme, and that is what grabs you from the beginning. It's an absolute uh, icon of the television uh, world, of the music ensemble that they've, they've put some, together here. And somewhat ahead of its time, I would say, because in 1986, most shows had a full, a, lo- a longer theme. Yes. And for certain shows, that that's great. I, I do wish some television shows nowadays were back to that. But if you look at the style of today, the style of today is short. It's to the point. It gives you everything you need to know inside of 10 seconds or less. I think Pingu really pioneered that. Pingu pioneered that absolutely. If you ask any of the major television producers of today, they're going to say, well... The 70s and the 80s, yeah, they got the, the whole show's told in the uh, introductory song, but Pingu just stepped out of the mold and said, Wake up, world, we can get into this a lot quicker than you've been doing that. Precisely. And I mean, once you got to that point, I think in the 90s, of the TGIF lineup of Step by Step and Full House and Family Matters, once you have these themes, along with from a few years earlier, Family Ties, once you have these themes, where do you go from there? You can't... You've, you've reached the mountaintop. You've reached you have to go back to Minimalist, and they looked to the true Minimalist, and that is Pingu. That, that's Pingu. And I think if you watch a lot of the um, the the HBO series that are coming out now and those real pay-per-views, they're moving away from Pingu, and I think that's where your, your House of Cards and your Game of Thrones, they're really starting to fall away because they're losing that essence of Pingu. I think they're losing the essence of Pingu, but I think they're trying to find themselves in that way. And that's why they may well be successful in the long run. They might. I think um, the the audience is still out, you know. The the reviews are still coming in for, like, two of those shows. But maybe one day they'll find a market and an audience. Precisely. Now, that brings us, of course, to the next part of this, which is, of course, story. Now, if if you've never seen an episode of Pingu, um, you need to stop listening to this podcast right now and go and watch an episode of Pingu. It is essentially the the day-to-day life of a, a child penguin with his mother and father, and then later on his brother or sister. No one can really tell the genders. Now, while we watch this, now, you can find this on Netflix, or if you don't have Netflix, if you are one who has not chosen to pay for Netflix. You could watch it through you your can, neighbor's window. You can watch it through a neighbor's window or for a far less litigious experience, 
we don't condone the use of, th of things such as YouTube, but they are resources. You can find things there. And if you look for this first episode, if you look for this first part, you will probably find it there, I would, I'd be willing to wager. But I think you should really shell out the money because it's an experience that's worthwhile. Because the money ultimately goes back to... Well, Netflix, but I'm sure somewhere along part, the line, I'm sure a part of it, a goes... couple of cents will go to the creators of Pingu, or at the very least, Pingu himself. Yeah, and if not real money, you know that spiritual, metaphorical money of love. Exactly, exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. Now, the story, of course, as we've seen from this first episode, just opens with it opens with Pingu, a penguin suffering under the weight of disapproving parents and a textbook definition of bulimia, and he has a who has a troubled home life and a complete disregard for cutlery. See, when Pingu's introduced to me, I see him certainly as either, and this is going to depend on your perspective, uh, the lovable and quirky protagonist, or that annoying child that should have been put up for adoption at birth. It's, it's quite unclear. I think he walks the razor-thin line between yeah. the two. Just... Taking a dalliance on either side. A Scorsesean interpretation of, of what it means to be a troubled child. Precisely. Yeah. Uh, and basically through this, we see the opening. He's eating with his family. As I said, a complete disregard for cutlery. He turns a fork into a spoon. These are things that you should not... Children should not follow this example. This is one thing I do say. But I feel that parents, if you sit with your child and watch Pingu, you need to have the conversation afterwards that just... Don't do that to folks. Appropriate and inappropriate cutlery use is definitely a conversation that will come from here. So too, I feel as though when, when Pingu is trying to eat and he destroys this fork in his frustration, we, we get a real deeper layer about the frustrations of modern society's incapacity to ever truly reach a truly satisfying level of satisfaction. There's, there's some commentary there about the wastefulness of modern Western society and its insistence on wasteful eating and gluttony with his destruction of this fork. That fork is a symbol of his pent-up frustration. I think there is further decadence there shown uh, when his father, upon insistence of the eating of his greens, mm. chooses first to push a forkful of his greens, which Pingu eats Probably out of fear, I would yeah, say. I think definitely of, of, of his here. father. He's unsure of what will happen if Getting he does. Getting towards it. this Oedipus so complex. But then he chooses when he is forced to eat his greens, he removes his straw from his milk and chooses to drink his greens in a manner that, whilst yes, that is a full use of claymation, you know, for something that obviously couldn't happen in real life. Well but I think it's a far more disturbing trend. Because children could view that, and I think they could see Pingu is drinking his greens. And while, yes, he is having his greens, and that is good for children to do, he's also clearly having a choking hazard there. There's a, there's a serious yeah, layer of caution applied to that scene, but I think it's the kind of caution that uh, really gets fleshed out later on in the uh, in the uh, episode and I think I'll probably get to that in a second just to speak a little bit more to the to the vegetables I think his reaction to those vegetables his eyes start to turn around 360 he starts to start blowing air bubbles and blowing his cheeks out clearly they're not just vegetables these are some sort of magic vegetables maybe even some sort of drug based uh, vegetables and this is a clearly an experience that shows um, how uh, really 
forward thinking these people were in 1986 thinking about the sort of drug culture that was just starting to emerge in modern society i mean we've seen great auteurs showing drug drug use in, in cinema i've seen of course danny boyle use it for train spotting and terry gilliam for fear and loathing in las vegas but i think pingu has also shown you another way showing you the more the, the aspect of the effect of these sort of psychotropic uh, substances, if I may, on children. Yeah, you've just mentioned uh, fear and loathing there. Before this episode, someone would probably think that Johnny Depp's uh, portrayal of a person under the influence of drugs uh, was probably at its peak. All you've got to do is watch Pingo eat his vegetables, and that ultimately you see the dark side of drug use there, especially when he um, sort of runs into the bathroom as a consequence of this and either as a sign of preventative action due to his suspicion of a drug overdose or a sign that he has a chronic case of bulimia, he goes and vomits all this up into the he toilet. He does, and but then he chooses to go out. He subsists as if nothing is wrong. He continues to move along. He gets his father to inflate the ball, the red ball, to, to go outside to play. Now, he takes that. He goes out. He comes back inside, leaving the ball to its own devices outside. His mother blows his nose. Possibly another drug uh, drug reference. We don't know. He showed no signs of a cold, so there could have been some cocaine use somewhere. But then he steps back out. The ball is gone. And what do we see? We see some thieving older penguins. Yeah, there's a flagrant disregard for law and order by some local nearby hooligan penguins. They have stepped in, they have stolen his ball, they, they run around his house, they kick the ball in the air to mock him, to so mock Pingu, sort of to show they have his property and they do not intend to return Some kind of piggy in the middle teasing ensues, doesn't they it? They do, indeed. And then, after this, he follows for the ball, crushes it under his own weight, trying to, so- to save it from these youths. And then, after an assault from these thieving older penguins, of course, not only through the form of a flipper, but through numerous, numerous snowballs, uh, after this vicious assault, he rushes home, back into the arms of his parents, where in which they themselves have a transformative moment. They realise their son is hurt, and they pull mm. this mm. fractured mm. family back together and show that love truly does conquer. And I think that's the, the overriding feeling we get from this episode. Yeah, the bullying sequence there for me was a real deep treatment of the bullying epidemic that now currently plagues society. Uh, the mother and the father reconciled their child's issues uh, with, a, with a clear rejection of violence, which really espouses the European origins of this show of pacifism and non-violence. Indeed, that it does. And that moves us on, I believe, to the next step, which is, of course, the cinematography and the production. Now, we, I believe, differ somewhat, a little in our views here, whereas I feel that the DP clearly chose his shots from a limited palette. I feel that we we get almost nothing but static shots with some mild panning and jump cuts until Pingu leaves the table, at which time the camera becomes somewhat more fluid. Um, it follows him in his adventures to the bathroom and especially in and out of the toy box. Yeah, the toy box scene is probably one of those those all-time... You know, you often find people on the internet, they put together 10 best shots or 10 best of this, 10 best of that. I feel as though the toy box scene is going to end up being 
uh, finding its way higher and higher up these lists, especially after people are exposed to the um, the revival of Pingu as as we're starting to really see now. I exactly. I mean, I I once uh, many years ago. Uh, in a comment on this episode, I believe I referred to that as Schrodinger's Penguin. Schrodinger's Penguin, yeah. And I, I do believe, while some people didn't quite take you seriously with that comment... It's a struggle. I, I think more recent publications out of some academic uh, you know, circles are really starting to embrace the idea of Schrodinger's Penguin as opposed to his much maligned now philosophy of Schrodinger's Cat. Exactly. Now, I felt the fixed camera position uh, that largely predominated predominated the um, episode here just ensured that intrusive point of view to emphasise the full voyeuristic experience we had here. We followed a child from dinner to a bathroom, back out to playing, into a bullying. We're watching. We're watching through an uh, an omniscient set of eyes who can see all, especially someone suffering with um, psychological illness, with uh, dietary problems, with parental problems, with bullying problems, and this is only rivaled in more recent times by March of the Penguins. Precisely. Um, the I felt that once we're outside, the cuts become even more the focus as we swap from one youth to another. Occasionally we pull back to give their crime a full scope, but I also feel that the snowball scene shows youth violence in a way not often covered in today's PG world. Um, I felt that the final scene of the family back together again, with Pingu, the ball, and most importantly, the family put back together again, has a slow, sweeping pan when the father steps back into frame, allowing everyone to truly feel whole again. See, this, and you alluded to it before, our disagreement or maybe our interpretation of this episode, I had a much more um, depressive so so you might say, interpretation here. I think when I saw Pingu leaving the bathroom uh, and he made fun, a mockery of his own appearance in the mirror and his rejection of his father's and mother's rules at the table and his engagement with this bullying culture, I saw a real existential understanding of how there are no rules, there is no truth. And it helps us to explain uh, later scenes where he, say, eats his mother's ice cream instead of his own ice cream. It's a real existential understanding that the world is meaningless. I felt with that with that moment in particular that you just touched on at the eating of his mother's ice cream, I think that showed the potential hoodlum within Pingu mm. in that he did not even have an ice cream. He chose to eat his mother's ice cream until she until she aggressively removed it from him so that he could not finish it. Now, that's a very good point there. The idea that he's rejected to get his own ice cream and he's usurping someone else's ice cream. He's oppressing their ownership the same way the hooligan penguins outside repress his ownership of the ball. It's clearly parallels between their story. One bull, one man's bully is another person's friend. Exactly. Now, I thought a very um, breaking of the wall scene uh, was occurring outside where at the front of... Pingu's igloo is a snowman. Not a snow penguin, but a snowman. In a world dominated by penguins, with, with no reference to human beings whatsoever, he has somehow managed to create a snowman. I thought that was a bit of a wink and a nod towards the audience who are probably going to be humans or maybe pet cats and dogs whose people have uh, left this on just to keep them distracted while they're out doing the shopping. I don't feel that a truly salient point has been made so well in so long as that point there. Thank you for sharing that with us. Oh, that's okay. Well, it it was it came out of me because of Pingu. I, I didn't have these ideas in me, and I didn't have these until 
We saw Pingu. Precisely. And I think that brings us on today, of course, to today's verdict. Now, I think if I'm going to start here, I would certainly recommend Pingu. Uh, it's a formative moment uh, of our childhood and probably many adults uh, now pretending to be children as well. I would certainly recommend this show if you are trying to raise a child who will never leave home or if you're majoring in penguin behaviour in their natural environment uh, for some sort of university degree. I think that would be great. Of course, when I looked at the review, the simplest thing that came to mind, of course, was uplifting. Uplifting. Very interesting. Is there anything you'd like to say more about it being uplifting? No. Okay, very good. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Pod Du Jour. And I would like to thank all of you who have written so many emails, so many messages through on our Twitter? Uh, yeah, I, th- Twitter. I believe we have a Twitter. We have a Twitter. A Twitter, as they say in We France. have a Twitter account. We have a Facebook page. Uh, yeah, a Farsi book. We have. We also are, as well as on SoundCloud, we are on iTunes. iTunes. So feel free, all of those who have been writing, all of those things, if you wish to add your messages to the iTunes review system, please do that. We recommend that. We actually request that. So I think from there, we would like to thank everybody who sent out their good wishes to us on the court case. It yes, It's currently adjourned. We're waiting for further evidence to come forth from the, from the media organisation. But so far, talks have been positive, and we mm. may be able in the near future to bring you things from the archives as part of a potential settlement. We are currently, but again, yeah. we can't... There's not much we can say on that. Yeah, we're only currently replying to comments that um, are written by people who could provide us with a pretty good alibi at this moment. Exactly. So I would like to say uh, I have been Andrew. I have been Thomas. And as always, good day. Good day. <laughs>